following message is from Narrative Church, a Lutheran church located in Williamson County, Texas. For more information, go to www.narrative.church. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning that we can be here, we can be in your word, we can hear what you have for us. Lord, we thank you for a song that has been, had its words used by the church for such a long time to be a blessing in this season. Lord, may its connection to scripture bless us this year. In your son, Jesus' name, amen. Um, So the big question and I know this is something that can be very divisive at Thanksgiving tables. And you know, there are certain things you go, I'm going to see my family. I know I shouldn't talk about these things. And I know this is one of those things that can be incredibly divisive. So I want to handle it with care, which is when does Christmas music start playing in your household? There are people who are going to sell out And say, listen, until we have totally napped off our turkey, until it chimes 12 a.m. Black Friday, the second greatest holiday of the week, that is when the Christmas music may begin. Now, in our household, that was a little different this year. It was November 16th, and I remember because my wife tweeted about it. And she said, I have already turned on the Christmas music, and I don't care what other people think. And I was like, I know who she's talking about in terms of other people. (laughs) I'm not anti, you know, Christmas music before Thanksgiving. That's like, you know, you can listen to Christmas music in the summer if you want. But there is this feeling, this in some places a very deep feeling of like, We will not listen to this music. And some people are like, it makes me happy. And so there can be this tension. And it can be a silly tension. It can get intense. But I think what it goes to show is what this music around this time of year does to us. Now, some of it is religious music and some of it is chestnuts roasting on an open fire which I've never done, but at some point in my life, I feel like I have to do. But you think about what that music does and how it transports us. I know some of you are purists, and you're like, Christmas starts when Santa crosses in front of Macy's from the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. And immediately, every Christmas playlist is on throughout the house. Some of you may say, listen, I want Mariah Carey playing in my house. Some Bing Crosby. For me growing up, it was the Muppets Christmas Carol. They're teamed with John Denver. It is one of the weirdest soundtracks that brings me so much Christmas joy. Music at this time of year plays into a place in our souls, right? There's this weird clashing together of all of the lights, of all of the ideas of the Christmas season, and we can feel it. 
So what I want us to do over the next four weeks is to think about Advent. Christmas is coming, and I'm all down for it. Because you see the goofy thing in the public is, you, you know, you can't play Christmas music by this point. But I've already seen in some of my pastoral Facebook groups the reminder that this is Advent. We do not sing Christmas songs in Advent. And I'm like, okay. But Advent is that time for us to slow down. As the world gets busy around us, Advent reminds us to catch our breath and remember, why do we celebrate this every year? That there's so much excitement that will come with decorating cookies and buying presents and putting up trees and all of these fun traditions. But why do we do all of these things? And so we slow down to remember that when we could not do it, when we could not step outside of our sins, God had a plan and he would step in. And that all begins with the baby in the manger. So to slow us down during this time, we're going to take these seven verses from O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, which is a hymn version of what we call the O Antiphons. So let's break that down a bit. First, let's talk about what is an antiphon. An antiphon is a short chant in Christian ritual sung as a refrain. So it comes from Greek, anti-opposite phone voice. So it's this idea of an opposite voice that you have the verses telling you the story and then you get to the chorus, which brings you back. So think, O come, O come, Emmanuel. We have these verses telling us a story and then the chorus that tells us rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall ransom captive Israel. Now, the O antiphons are something specific. So what these are is they're ancient verses about Jesus. There's seven verses that lead up to Christmas. And actually, traditionally, they're sung as a daily matins verse, which would be a daily worship on the week leading up to Christmas. And what happened was, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel was written as a way to bring them all together. I can tell you, I grew up a pastor's kid. I grew up in the church. I've been to many church services, some that are great and some that my mom made me go to. I have been to all kinds of churches and everything in between. And one of the few times I have broken down in tears during worship was when I was at seminary for an Advent chapel service. There was a group of students who put together a chapel service around these O antiphons. And listen, I was coming out of class. My thought process was not, I should go to chapel. Here is the sinner in Ted. It was, do I want to go to chapel today? It's cold, it's St. Louis, it's snowing. I could just go home. But I was like, you know what, I'm going to go. It was the least disappointed I'd ever been to make that decision. As I sat and listened to these verses and the scripture in between 
of these antiphons describing who Jesus is for us. What these verses do is they take Old Testament ideas that hold true a lot from the book of Isaiah, and they show us who Jesus is as the promised Messiah. They show us what he's about, what he's going to do, and in fact, it gives us some of what the prophecy will be fulfilled. It gives us this completion. And so we're going to spend time in these O antiphons, learning about Jesus. Now, I want you to take a step back. If you've been in church for a long time, it'll need to be a big step back. If church is new to you, it'll be a very short step. But I love talking to people about the idea of a Sunday morning time in worship together. Because a lot of stuff I can explain to say, hey, why do we do communion? And I can give an explanation. Why do I get up and preach every Sunday? I can give you a good explanation. Why do we do confession absolution? Why do we pray? All of those things. And then someone might go, well, why do you sing? And I'm like, it's weird. Because how many other places are you going during the week where you have a guitar player, an organist, some musician playing a sing-along? All we're missing is the bouncing ball. Corporate singing together like this doesn't happen a lot of places outside of concert venues. But every week we get together and we sing four to five songs. Why do we do that? I've got three good reasons for you. One, to learn. I want to give major props to Matt that he has done an incredible job picking songs for us, that he dives into old hymns, he dives into new music, he dives into like some like kind of new music, and he reads the scripture, he puts that through the process, and he brings each week to me on Monday mornings in our staff meeting, he goes, here's my plan for this Sunday. And it's very rare where I ask him to change anything, because he's picked songs that I go, these are great. Because we established at the beginning of narrative, before Matt was even here, that our process in music was, we want music to teach us about who God is. We want to learn from music. I'll tell you what, when I'm in a dark night of the soul, when I'm struggling and I don't know what to do, I go back to some of the songs my mom used to sing to me when I was a kid, late at night when I was afraid. And the one that always pops out to me is actually a Christmas hymn, which blows my mind because I like didn't realize it until I got old enough to realize that the hymnal was broken up into different sections, and I went looking for this song, and it was like, Christmas? But it's a song called, God Loves Me Dearly. And the words simply go, God loves me dearly, grants me salvation. God loves me dearly, loves even me. Therefore, I'll say again, God loves me dearly. And that's what she would sing to me when I was young and scared and in bed. And now as an adult, when I'm having a bad day, when I can't see what's going on, when I need to refocus on who the Lord is, I stop, whether it's late at night or the middle of the day, 
And I take a deep breath and I just, God loves me dearly, grants me salvation. God loves me dearly, loves even me. Therefore, I'll say again, God loves me dearly. God loves me dearly, loves even me. It is a simple song. In fact, I was surprised when I even learned it was a hymn because I thought, this is a kid's song. This is a melody that you sing to help a child fall to sleep. But the depth of theology in those lines of saying, listen, when the world's out there and against you, when you feel the enemy encroaching, God loves you dearly. And guess what? When you try to make an excuse, but Lord, you don't know what I've done. You don't know who I am. You don't know the darkness in my heart. I love that whoever the hymn writer was wrote, loves even me. That he was like, no one's getting out of this. This is the love of God for you. And so what songs do, the reason we sing together, number one is to learn, to memorize, to take deep the theology, the understanding, the promises of the Lord. Number two, it's to praise. When we sing, we're not coming here to fill up some kind of God battery, right? Where God's up in heaven going, oh, I'm feeling a little low today. Luckily, it's Sunday. Everyone's going to be singing to me. But no, it's, it's a praise of response that when we know and we learn and we go, Wow, God loves me. How do I respond when he loves even me? I'll sing it again. That the praise response is not about somehow saying, listen, here's all this, uh, all this glory that I can send to you, God. No, it's about saying, God, you are so good, I can't contain it. And listen, that for you may look like this. And you're just singing right here. Some of you may put a hand in the air. Some of you might like try half a hand, maybe carrying a TV. You know, but it's for us, we praise. We give back. I stole that joke. I just want you to know. That was not a Ted original. I don't want you giving that to me. But we praise because God is so good. Listen, in the joy of Christmas season, we're going to sing some great songs. Some old some new. They're going to teach us about who God is. And we get to respond and say, wow, he is good. And then finally, singing helps us grow. Um, there was a study done years back, but more recently um, than, you know, sometime in the 2000s, which gets further and further away now. Uh, but within the past 20 years, there was a study done about kids staying in church. And one of the key things was that they saw adults singing. They saw parents singing. They saw church members singing. That was one of the key factors is that they saw the participation of adults in song. Now listen, I love, I had a pastor friend, and this is not a new thing amongst pastors. People use it all the time. But I have a friend, he could not carry a tune to save his life. 
Some of you may know him, John Zock. <laughs> and hopefully he doesn't get on the live stream today. John is one of the deepest theological minds I know. John is one of the greatest teachers I know. But listen, when he sang, he followed that Bible verse. He made a joyful noise unto the Lord. Listen, it doesn't say, remember, you look at 1 Corinthians 13, it says, if I can sing like angels but have not love, I'm a clanging gong, right? We're not here to say, like, this has to be perfect song. It's a joyful noise. It's not a joyful choir. It's not a joyful four-part harmony. It is a joyful noise. I can't tell you. I've had breakfast with different people in our church. I've talked with friends who have visited, and there's great moments where people have shared with me. They're like, there was this kid up front, and they did not care. They were going at it. So I sang louder. Listen, I love narrative church. I'm going to be here as long as the Lord leaves me, and I love that fact. And here's the deal. We sing, and I love it. I walk into some churches, and I just want to like walk around and be like, you can sing louder. It's okay. But listen, we will fill a school cafeteria for a little while, a beer garden, and then again, a school cafeteria. But part of what it does is when we sing, we grow. There is something in that connection. Like, what is song? We could get real philosophical about this. Because here I'm talking and here I'm singing, right? Like, what's the difference? But there's something in moving to song that moves our soul and our spirit. That in Scripture we see over and again a movement towards song. And there's something about it that the way God created it, it helps us grow as we follow Him. It is a beautiful mystery of the faith. Now there are more reasons we sing, but these are the three big ones. That when we come together on Sunday mornings, our songs teach us, our songs bring praise and our songs help us to grow. So let's talk about why we're singing these antiphons. So the first two we'll talk about this week are wisdom and Adonai. So let's look at wisdom. We have these two verses we read this morning. And so I want to pull apart something here from the, the Isaiah verse. So in this Isaiah verse, Isaiah is a prophet who a lot of what he does is prophesy the coming Messiah. So he comes and he brings that message. And here we have him speaking of wisdom. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes sees or decide disputes by what his eyes hear. He is speaking of Jesus, the Messiah who is to come, and the depth of wisdom he will have, the depth of connection he has to the Father, to see what wisdom brings. And then here from 1 Corinthians. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are being called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. The foolishness of God is wiser than men. The foolishness of God is to say, I will send my son to redeem the world. As we talk about wisdom, 
and as we look actually what the <clears throat> antiphon says here. And so this is from the lyrics of the song. O come thou wisdom from on high, and order all, order all things mightily. To us the paths of wisdom show. Teach us in its ways to grow. See, the wisdom of God is that he is creator. He is above all. He is through all. He is in all. His wisdom is past just a mere knowledge, just a mere understanding, but instead his wisdom is that when we fell in Genesis 3, when mankind steps away from God, he steps towards us. That in that moment there is a promise that he looks at the snake and says, cursed are you to crawl on your belly. And the woman's offspring shall crush your head. The promise of a Messiah who would come to destroy death for us. This is Jesus' wisdom personified. It is the wisdom and promise of God given to us. And so we sing of him as wisdom because the wisdom of God is deeper than we could ever know. His foolishness to send his son is greater than the wisdom of all men. And so we look at Jesus as the wisdom of God because he is the salvation we needed. There was one way it could happen. And so we preach Christ crucified because that is the way. We'll also sing this morning about Adonai. Adonai is um, a Hebrew um, running together of words, but we see it often translated as Lord, that Adonai was used in the Hebrew to protect the name of God, Yahweh, so it would not be used improperly. And so in our song today, we will sing about the Lord of might. You see, Adonai is the Lord who orders things for us, who gives us law, who gives us rules and a way to follow, that Jesus didn't come to destroy the law, but instead he came to fulfill it. This is what Isaiah would say, for the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king, he will save us. Our lyrics today will say, we'll talk about from Sinai's height, this is Mount Sinai, the place where Moses receives the law. And the law is not there to discourage us. Instead, the first thing it does is it shows us it's a mirror. It shows us that we need a Savior. Then it's a curb. What happens when your car hits a curb? You realize you're not in the road anymore. It's a reminder in our lives when we start fleeing from God, the law brings us back and shows us you need to get back to the ways of the Lord. And then finally, it is a guide. It shows us the glory of saying, listen, God created. That wisdom created you, and he has a plan and a purpose, and you are called to follow him in his ways, not because they will give you perfection, but because his ways are better. 
And you know what happens when you fall away from his ways? You look in the mirror again and you say, I need a savior. And it brings you back to him. And so we sing about the Lord of might, the Lord of heaven, who would step down for us and take on the form of a baby for us. The lowliest of human form for us. And so today we sing about wisdom. We sing about Adonai, this Lord of might. We sing to learn, to be reminded of who God is. We sing to give praise that God in his wisdom would send his son for us. We sing to grow, to be reminded that God has called us to follow him. So we come together and we sing.